today's program is on disruptive behavior. Our guest is Dr. Michael Height, who is a consultant psychologist located in Baltimore in private practice and has a lot of experience working with employers and with individuals on the issue of managing behavior. Uh, the reason we think this uh, uh, point, this conversation is so critical, uh, most recently, of course, we had extreme uh, acts of disruptive behavior, violent behavior at the Navy Yard in Washington, D.C., and in the FedEx uh, uh, shootings in Georgia, and it goes on. But it doesn't have to go to that extreme to be a disruptive and a very dangerous uh, behavioral to address in the workplace. And we are uh, really interested in having Dr. Height's perception, perspective, and experience in helping us as individuals and uh, we who are managers and human capital folks understand and get a better understanding of what disruptive behavior is and how it affects the workplace. Welcome, Dr. Height. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, Dr. Height's private practice focuses on uh, impaired, distressed, disruptive professionals, and who among us has not at one time been that person? Uh, but there's a difference between what happens to us in a meltdown mode uh, and what is uh, what he observes and, and in the people that are referred to him uh, from the employers and also uh, uh, visit him for guidance and support as they go through their own own transitions. He consults on executive selection. He coaches to people, as I mentioned, in disruptive uh, behavior and, and workplace violence. He has a forensics practice in clinical psychology and much more. And so we are very pleased to, to be able to welcome Dr. Hyde to our program and help us put some light on some understanding and hopefully some corrective action in this issue. So first of all, Dr. Height, what is disruptive behavior in the workplace? Can you describe it and explain it to us as a lay sure. people? Yeah, so you know, it, it's pretty much what it sounds like. It's behavior that is disruptive. Um, so when I talk about disruptive behavior, I always like to contextualize it by kind of stating where I'm coming from. So as a clinical psychologist, I, you know, I, I worked for about a decade in an employee setting within a major hospital. And one of the committees that I served on was charged with dealing with uh, distressed, impaired, and disruptive physicians. And that's really where I got the bulk of my early experience. Now, you know, most people think about, uh, you know, impaired professionals, meaning someone who is uh, addicted to drugs uh, or alcohol, something like that. But the disruptive behavior is a little bit more difficult to describe because though there are great similarities between disruptive behavior and impaired behavior, it's uh, the disruptive behavior really falls more in line with kind of the eye of the beholder perspective that's similar to sexual harassment law, um, that, you know, behavior is disruptive if people feel disrupted by it. Um, so that's, the, you know, the, the, the upshot of it is that it, it's pretty broad and, and, and you know, uh, mm -hmm. very encompassing of, of, you know, a vast array of, of behaviors that are problematic. The downside mm -hmm. is that it's awfully vague. 
and sometimes can you know the, the disruptive behavior clause in uh, in policies and procedures can mm-hmm. oftentimes be too broad and even abused. So, yeah, it, it does sound already complex. So going back to uh, the first thing you said about doctors and the medical profession, when you is uh, is a disruptive behavior a one-time thing or, or you know uh, periodically as opposed to a constant reoccurring behavior that's observed in the workplace? That's my first question. And then the second question is, can you what do can you give us a couple of examples of of physicians who exhibited what you're calling disruptive behavior. Sure. So, so with regard to the first question, is it a single episode or, or recurrent behavior? It mm-hmm. could be either. Um, that that one's behavior could be so, um, you know, out of left field and so disruptive, so aggressive. You know, if we're talking about workplace violence, or just so inappropriate if we're talking about sexual harassment or something like that, that it could be a single episode. But in the vast majority of the situations that I've dealt with, um, the the behavior is almost always recurrent in nature, meaning that this is a repetitive pattern. Um, usually people don't get much more than a slap on the wrist for the first few times that this type of thing happens. Um, but after, you know, when, when the behavior persists, the, the impact of the behavior becomes more and more pronounced, um, and uh, the, the organization has to do something about it. So some examples, you know, you, know you, you asked for some examples. You know, there are a lot of different categories. You know, so there are boundary crossings or boundary violations. So that could be, you know, people kind of in quotes joking, um, uh, could could escalate to harassment or hostile work environments, um, interpersonal relationship, uh, you know, uh, uh, problems is another category where uh, things could be as benign as uh, communication difficulties. A person who does not know how to communicate well um, has poor social skills. Maybe is is really harsh in their communications, like via email. Um, they just really chew people out, but then might be okay in other scenarios. Um, uh, it yeah, it is be, vague, isn't it? <laughs> like, well, I work right. with these people every single day of my life. Well, you know, and, and that's the thing is that you know so much of this really is so pre- prevalent in, in in a variety of of work settings. We're not t- when, when you know when I'm thinking about disruptive behavior, I'm thinking about when it reaches a magnitude that the organization really needs to do something about it. So it's not someone having a bad day, you know, being grumpy. Mm-hmm. You know, my wife yelled at me, and so now I'm in a bad mood, and so I come to work and I'm just a little rough around the edges. Mm-hmm. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when someone is persistently abrasive, um, hostile, mm-hmm. mean. Bullying. So, bullying, mm-hmm. mobbing are some are some terms that are oftentimes thrown in along with workplace violence. Um, mm-hmm. So, workplace violence would be another another example. So, workplace really, exa- violence is really an extreme example, correct? But that's that's definitely a very extreme example. And even when I talk about workplace violence, I contrast workplace violence, kind of the the, the conflict and hostility of threats and uh, subtle threats and just meanness. I, I contrast that with what we see on the news, you know, the forklift mm. shootings, things like so that. So you're saying that is the same thing. I mean, it's part of the same extreme where there's constant verbal abuse, constant bullying, 
of one person, especially in a leadership role, to somebody else. Uh, you mentioned the medical profession. There are lots of stories about doctors who treat nurses like they're cattle. Uh, yeah, they, they treat nurses that way. They also treat the residents that way. Um, and that's, you know, for many people, particularly the folks who are a little bit more senior in, in their career, this is mm -hmm. how they were treated, and so this is how they learned. And it's not uh -huh. so much them being mean or being jerks. It's they say, well, this is how I learned, and I turned out great. Um, so I want you to so turn they out think, great. Huh? So, well, well, but, you know, what, I'll tell you, some of them, you know, in fact, the vast majority of the folks who are referred to me tend to be pretty darn bright um, and, and pretty great at what they do. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's kind of funny, just anecdotally, I've been do, you know, I had been doing this, this work for years and years. And again, you know, I was working at a major uh, uh, hospital. Uh, you didn't say a, Johns Hopkins, right? I, I mean, okay, yeah, I can, sure. So, so I was working at Johns Hopkins. And you're still an assistant professor in the School of Medicine there. So. Right. So I'm still on faculty at, at Hopkins mm -hmm. and, and, and at Loyola uh, in, in Maryland. But so when I was working there in the EAP, I, I, you know, I thought I saw a correlation between these referrals, meaning mm -hmm. the, the disruptive behavior referrals, and people who were literally uh, either nationally or internationally renowned in their subspecialty. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Maybe it's that, and you know, here was my thought process. I thought maybe it's that the people who are, you know, the brightest and the best and you know, brilliant. Maybe they're lacking social skills. Maybe you know, they're so good that there's kind of narcissistic personality issues, and maybe that's why this is happening. And really, what I what I eventually came to realize is that though surely that there may be some component um, of mm -hmm. of that uh, in, in this mix. I think what it is is that the folks who aren't the brightest and the best get fired. They just get fired early on because their behavior is not tolerated. But the folks oh. who, 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 are, who are brilliant, who either are great money makers or they're just incredible clinicians or they're wonderful business leaders, the ones who are doing great, great work, People will tolerate their, yeah, their tolerate. aberrant behaviors. You know, I saw that I saw that uh, played out in a lot of organizations where I worked in recruiting and career development, where it was almost like a revolving door. You know, the recruiters would work very hard to get a really talented person in, and the manager with an abusive behavior worked very hard to get them out through, right. because of their behavior. And but they they were kept on, and I kept asking the question, why are they kept on? Given you know how they treat employees, and I think it's to that point that you just mentioned. Well, look uh, at look at the the case of uh, like like Steve Jobs. You know, so you know right. he he was known. I, now I I am no expert in in you know uh, his his biography or anything like right. that. Um, but you know my understanding is that he was very well known as being not just brilliant and mm -hmm. really an innovator, of course, but also of being a real tough cookie. Right. Uh, just a really hard person to work for. And at Not one possessing point, social graces. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And and at one point, I believe, you know, didn't Apple even like let him go? Um, you know, I right. think he was like chair of the board or something. And mm -hmm. and he was let go from Apple and then brought back. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, still, of course, had the same personality, the same leadership style, um, the same gifts, and the same limitations mm -hmm. as when he left. Um, and right, so, and he right. continued to do amazing work. And some people found him a real bear to, to deal with. Um, you know, I, I, I want to stay on point with the uh, disruptive behavior conversation because it is uh, it's so fascinating and frightening at the same time. Uh, one of the things, though, I wanted to 
to your point that you were just uh, making about the best and the brightest, sometimes having the worst of the behaviors, uh, today there seems to be so much emphasis placed on hiring people to get along with everybody, regardless of whether they're the best and the brightest. Do you see that swing a little bit of the pendulum where they're overcompensating for the bad behaviors? Unfortunately, not consistently. So I, so you know, uh-huh. I, as you mentioned earlier, I also one of the parts of my practice is that I help with executive selection. So, mm-hmm. you know, a company is looking to hire a new manager, and they've got two candidates. I do some some you know some interviewing with them and some mm-hmm. testing with them. And I don't I don't make a recommendation hire A over B, but I will mm-hmm. say if you hire A, these are some of the these these are some of the things you're going to want to do with him to make him a better leader and if you hire B this is what she's going to require to to really bolster her as as a leader um you know what some of her you know strengths or shortcomings might be Now, so, is your experience? Oh, oh so, so any? What, what? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Oh, uh, okay. Go ahead. Oh, so so what I was going to say is that, you know, one of the things that that I I um, I look at then is. Uh, or I try to encourage organizations to do is to really consider the person they're hiring and not just the resume, um, mm-hmm. not just the experience or the degree or the education. All of that is incredibly important, of course, but mm-hmm. it's a lot easier to train a good person who has good social skills, understands leadership development, understands teamwork. It's a lot easier to teach them the technical side of the job than it is to mm-hmm. take someone who's a technological genius and teach them how to get along with people. Mm. And so it's ironic too when you're talking about this that there are a lot of employers who are complaining about the fact that people come into the workforce today, young people from high school or from college, who don't have the behaviors. They don't know how to work in, a, in an organization. They don't have sound work, you know, getting to work on time and communicating well, et cetera. And so it seems like in a way there is this continuum, uh, good, bad, and the ugly. And at each point there has to be some sort of a balancing act uh, of those behaviors to map to the organization's goals. Yeah. I mean, if you have a horrible personality and you don't get along with people, you know, the last thing a smart organization is going to do is put that person in a customer relations job. And yet you'd be surprised how often that actually happens. That they say, but, know. but, you know, but he's great. It's a perfect match. You know, look what he's done or look, look where she went to school or, you know, and, and it's amazing how oftentimes, you know, people, you know, hiring organizations tend to be very short-sighted in, in that decision-making process. Um, well, now you have, uh, primarily practiced uh, uh with professionals but are these uh are these symptoms examples also applicable to labor blue collar unskilled non-exempt employees as well a disruptive person is a dis- disruptive person regardless of of what their job title or or pay grade or educational mm-hmm. degree might be 
Um, now, the, the one difference between the two categories, if we're going to call, you know, white collar, blue collar, or executive versus line staff, or whatever, the, the main difference is that typically the higher up in the organization that you go, the more potential damage the disruptive person can create. Mm. Um, it's also control harder. Is broader. Right, right, and, and and it's harder to replace someone higher up in the organizational chain mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. than uh, you know a, a line worker, uh, you know, or, or or a laborer or someone like that. Um, you know, it's it's easier to replace someone like that. Now, I mm. still meet with plenty of people like that. I still work with plenty of people like that. I have found, however, that organizations tend to not invest as much. Are, you know, as many resources in mm-hmm. the lower level employees than mm-hmm. in the higher level executives. And again, I, you know, yeah. I understand yeah. that to be just a business decision. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So let me just make sure that we're all on the same page and we're all understanding this. The uh, in context of this conversation and the disruptive behaviors in the workplace. You get uh, your referred uh, people, individual employees that the organization has identified as maybe being able to benefit from coaching or counseling or there's a part of their pre-termination process to see if that person can can modify their behavior. Uh, what is it that happens? Let's say an employee gets referred to you. Right. Is that employee defensive and in denial about why they were referred to you? Well, most of the time, of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most of the time when people are referred to me, they're initially referred in after they've been disciplined, oftentimes when they've got one foot out the door, pushed out the door, and their their job is in jeopardy, and it's if you don't go see the shrink, you're fired. Now, so they've been warned many times. Is that what I'm understanding? They've correct. Been before. Uh-huh. Okay. Oftentimes, um, uh-huh. and so you know, so sometimes people come in very defensive because they disagree. I didn't do it. She did it. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes they're very defensive because they don't want to disclose too much to me because they're they're in fear of losing their job. If if I if I tell Dr. Height this, then you know what's going to happen to this information. So confidentiality mm-hmm. is a huge topic that I put on the table before anyone starts talking. So before I even start talking to the referring organization and before I meet with the individual employee, I talk about confidentiality, the limits, the scope of confidentiality and. and do employers ask if they can get that information from you? They do, um, although uh, most most good employers understand that they don't want access to any medical information. Uh-huh. I am a licensed psychologist, and so you know, as a healthcare practitioner, I uh, you know I do gather health information. You know, a psychiatric uh-huh. diagnosis is an example. Um, most organizations do not want that data because then they could be at risk of being accused, whether they do it or not. They could be accused of uh, discriminating against the person based upon a disability, treating them as if they are disabled. Um, mm-hmm. So I write my reports when I do the, the first evaluation. I do my reports in a way that I help the referring organization ask me referral questions that mm-hmm. they want me to answer. Um, mm. And you know they're they're always very similar questions. 
Um, and so I, I walk the uh, the, the uh, organization uh, through a process, uh, you know, the consultative process, where they ask me certain questions, and then I, might, I write my report directly targeted at those questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, is this person safe to return to duty, for example? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, what recommendations? That's very important to have it checked out by legal counsel and, and make sure that you're not jeopardizing it the employer by referring that person to you. You betcha. I, I, yeah. I love it when uh, mm-hmm. when organizations will bring their attorneys in uh, into the oh, loop. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it makes things so much better for, for all parties. Right. Uh, you know, I'm reminded uh, we all read the headlines about the uh, sexual abuse cases uh, in the military and elsewhere where there seems to be a pattern of it. And and in some of these cases, I have got to believe that it's not the individual, but it's the culture that's perpetuating these behaviors. Right. Uh, Is is there a difference? Do you make distinctions uh, as you're working with people between those behaviors that are innate to the individual that are dysfunctional behaviors versus those behaviors that are almost encouraged by the employer? Well, so... That other people would be... Yeah, I mean, that's a wonderful question. One of the things that I do in that initial consultation with the employer, with the referring agency, is I ask about kind of organizational dynamic questions. So I ask mm-hmm. about the leadership style. I ask about um, have there been any changes in, in management lately? You know, what other what other organizational issues are going on now? What's the general culture? What's the leadership culture? What's the management culture? What's the culture in this in this organization? And there are vast differences. I mean, just really, really huge differences from organization to organization. And if you plop me into the wrong organization, I'm not going to work well there. You put me in a, into a different organization, I'm going to thrive. And so mm-hmm. sometimes a systems mismatch, I'm just a fish out of water. I'm, I'm you know, you, you're putting this employee in the wrong place. Sometimes, you know, uh, that's what's discovered uh, through this mm-hmm. evaluative consultative process. Um, so in that example, uh, it's a mismatch versus uh, working in an organization that, that in fact has a reputation of being, a, quote, unquote, a toxic environment because right. of and, their practices. And, and, Right, so perhaps a more common or benign example than kind of a toxic environment um, is, uh, you know, some organizations really encourage people to question and to challenge. And, you know, if something's not working, say something. Because we're not going to be able to fix anything unless we know it's it's not working. So it doesn't matter who you are, where you are on the organizational chart. If something doesn't seem right, if something doesn't smell right, say something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Other organizations are the exact opposite. And they say, you know, you speak when spoken to. You only speak to your immediate supervisor. You never go above and around. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and there, and there are certain organizational uh, norms now, right. if you take a person who worked for 10 years at that first organization and you plop him into the second one, uh, you know, he gets, mm-hmm. he gets recruited and hired into this wonderful new job, you know, $20,000 increase, plopped into this position, and, and this person who's used to thinking broadly, you know, really open-minded and identifying, you know, problems in the system says, hey, you know what, you know, go, you know, the, the one of the senior leaders comes around and says, hey, Bob, how's it going? Oh, well, you know, I really think that we should redo this, and, and that would be horribly disruptive. 
and that type of situation. And that would be considered dysfunctional and disruptive behavior. Well, to be it able to could. answer honestly, yeah. Depending on the delivery of the message, and depending on the culture, the you know the the environment um, of of that second organization, um, that mm. can be perceived as being horribly disruptive, despite hmm. the intention, despite you know the the very good intention of the employee. Um, so that's what I mean by a systems mismatch. Interesting, yeah. because then it is a cultural environment, uh, and it is a well. You know, I was thinking of the movie Wall Street and the Wolf of uh, uh, the Wolf of Wall Street. Was that right. the Wolf I of think Wall that's Street? Right. Yeah, where you know, I mean, it was just just this very competitive, uh, direct. Uh, brutal environments that they it's kind of like the gladiators coming into the you know into the uh, center of the ring you know that sure. that's what they're trained to do and right and and there is gentle song there is lots of sexual harassment and and you know mm-hmm. other inappropriate behavior again you know you, t- you you put someone in that environment they mm-hmm. engage in that type of behavior there and they thrive because, right. you know, at least according to the movie, it was a very aggressive, you mm-hmm. know, dog-eat-dog kind of environment. You then take that person and put them into a more traditional culture, you know, put them into a standard CPA firm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's still a similar, you know, related industry, you know, finances and stuff like that. You plop them into a, into a, a, a you know, a hundred-year-old CPA firm, and that mm-hmm. person would get kicked out on their first day. Right. Well, it is, as you mentioned earlier, a complex and sometimes a subjective call to uh, whether you define a behavior as disruptive or or toxic. That's my term. And I know that the American Medical Association defines uh, dysfunctional behavior in one way, which sounds uh, more clinical, and it sounds like it's the type of person that you most often would be seeing, somebody who has some... Uh, some not their behavioral problems are the outward manifestation of that, but anger problems, uh, psychiatric problems, um, it could be drug problems. I I expect and alcohol problems, but it seems to me that they're more related to healthy and, and unhealthy temperaments and ability to manage conflict and those kinds of issues. Is that correct? Sure, sure, definitely. From your from, from your from your practice. So how long, first of all, can an individual who has these traits that are getting them into trouble, uh, throwing, I have a friend who worked for an organization where the CEO would come in and pick up chairs and throw them against the wall and, right. you know, people would be leaving left and right. Uh, I guess in that case study, the individual employee better leave if they don't like that behavior. Uh, because you're not going to change the CEO of the company. If, well, if unless the them. board chooses to change the CEO of the, of the company. But well, good point. typically, good point. If, if the board, you know, typically the board's not going to uh, mess with the CEO if mm-hmm. uh, if she's bringing in good numbers, um, mm-hmm. it, you know, and so that's where, you know, that's where that behavior typically is not confronted until there's a lawsuit. Um, Interesting. So and, this is the role and responsibility of the board to be paying attention to some of these issues because they're ultimately, I would think, costing the company uh, bottom line a lot of money. 
from absolutely yeah the, the implications mm-hmm. yeah the implications of disruptive behavior are very uh, far reaching you know so you've already talked about kind of morale and job satisfaction mm-hmm. a bit mm-hmm. and turnover you know which can be very very right. expensive um mm-hmm. but productivity and efficiency um, can break down mm-hmm. as a real, results of communication problems. People right. can can av- avoid people. I don't. I don't want to talk to that Michael guy. He's going to chew me out. You know, so they right. avoid me. Um, right. You know, and so there's a lot of wasted uh, time and resources. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, put into avoiding. Um, mm-hmm. There are surely financial implications, like I said, with turnover, with lawsuits mm-hmm. for harassment or hostile work environments. Um, And then, of course, there's the, you know, perpetuation of the problem that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, if if uh, if a senior leader engages in disruptive behavior, they surely will breed continued disruptive behavior. Because they have defensiveness and they hire people who like who either will tolerate it or will uh, fight back and be the same person. So you're creating your own culture. Right. Putting the seeds in that. I have in the remaining time. I'd like to ask you, uh, as an individual who uh, has not been signaled out for referral, for whatever reason, would they be able to, after listening to your conversation today, be able to sit back and say, "Am I, am I a, a prototype? Am I an example of a disruptive personality in the workforce?" Can they do that? I mean, what is it that they, the individual, do to kind of check in to see if they're a problem? Well, surely they can. I'll tell you, though, that typically people don't. Now, I do receive plenty of self-referrals, but I receive far more mandated referrals or or facilitated Mm -hmm. referrals. Um, from from the organization. So there, there definitely are people who are self-reflective, self-monitoring, you know, thinking about mindfulness and saying, you know, so am I the best leader I could be, you know, or am I the best parent I could be? Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, people definitely think that way. Um, mm-hmm. Typically, the more disruptive your behavior, the less insight you have about it. Um, so that's mm-hmm. that's one of the problems, and so one of the big goals for uh, for my work is uh, you know after initially engaging the person, kind of dispelling some myths or fears about what this process is going to look like. I then you know we we then try to identify some behaviors, looking at the difference between their intended behavior and the you know how others perceive them to be, so intention versus perception. And then we look at insight, and and I try to build as much insight, self-reflection, um, as possible. Um, and then from there, it's only with that insight can people really make long-term behavioral change. Typically, people come in to see me, and they're they're kind of like holding their breath behaviorally at work. Mm-hmm. You know, well, I just won't talk to anyone. I'll go to work, I'll do my job, and I'll leave. I just won't talk to anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's nice, but well, it's not so nice. But you know, it's better than being abusive um, and, and otherwise disruptive. But you can only do that for so long, and then mm-hmm. you know, you're going to have to start talking to people. You're going to have to start interacting with people again. Mm-hmm. So it's a very uh, short-sighted solution. Um, mm-hmm. And so you know, when people are just kind of biting their tongues or holding their breath, I meet them where they're at and say, "That's a great place to start because it's better than where you were, and it's what you need to be doing right now." But this isn't good enough. 
because this is only going to protect you for so long. You can only remain hypervigilant for so long. You know, but the reality so, is, in that case, is that you can have this individual take forever to appreciate the fact that something that they do on a regular basis creates animosity among the people with whom they're working and therefore are creating a lot of problems that the organization doesn't need. Sure. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, it, this, is, this is not an overnight fix. How long does it normally take? I mean, are you can you be successful if somebody if it's not a one-off thing where somebody's had a bad day or is working for a really horrible manager and they become very defensive and they're developing a chip on their shoulder in response to that, the best thing to do is to coach them that that isn't the right match for them versus somebody who really is uh is exhibiting signs of of you know disruptive behavior from the go-get. Mm. How long does it take do they ever change? Well, so unfortunately, as a psychologist, my answer is it depends. Um, but mm-hmm. what I what I do tend to prepare people for is that there are surely some people who can come in and kind of see the light, and they have this aha moment, and they they're they're reborn, you know, and they 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 get it. They they draw parallels between their current behavior and past behavior, and they they understand how to then implement new future behavior. That does happen, but it's not often, even with the brilliant people yeah. that I work with. Right. Typically, what I prepare organizations for and what I prepare the individual employees for is I, I prefer to work with people for at least one full rolling calendar year. And the reason for that is, one, is that honeymoon holding your breath or biting your tongue phase. You can Mm -hmm. only do that for so long. That usually lasts about three months. So people can maintain really good behavior for about three months. Mm -hmm. And then they start to relax a little bit. They tend to fatigue a little bit uh, in their vigilance. And that's Mm -hmm. when things start to show. Their their old behaviors start creeping back. Mm -hmm. So that's one reason. Another reason is that I like to see people through a full calendar cycle, a business calendar cycle, I like to see people through tax season, through the end of the fiscal year and the beginning of the next fiscal year, or mm-hmm. if, you know the, through the academic calendar or whatever it is. You know, all of our jobs tend to have cyclic patterns to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I also like to get people through just the regular calendar year with the holidays and anniversaries. Mm-hmm. And when I say anniversaries, I mean anniversaries that are good, but also anniversaries that are stressful, like you know, the death of a loved one um, mm-hmm. tends to evoke certain feelings and reactions in me that I might not even be consciously aware of, but I tend to get really grumpy around this time of the year. And by the way, mm-hmm. that's when my loved one died, you know, five years ago. Right. Um, and so getting, you know, working with someone consistently uh, throughout a full 12 months, I get the, the benefit of seeing people through that, mm-hmm. and we develop insights about that too. So we know, mm-hmm. hey, you know what, around November, December time, that's when, you know, this anniversary happened, and we just need, we, we just need to be on alert, maybe even set up, literally set up some tickler uh, reminder messages uh, to say, hey, by the way, keep, you know, be on your best behavior during these, these mm-hmm. couple months. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is when things tend to get well, worse. so it is how they manage stress to what doesn't surprise me uh and this is kind of wrapping up right now is that that even with intense intervention care referral feedback from family from coworkers from employers that some individuals uh that there is no 
objective, logical audit, if you will, like uh, uh, ask yourself these questions. Are you ostracized from group meetings? Do people uh, put you down? Do do people constantly take advantage of you? Do you constantly lash out when you're under stress? I mean, I would think that there would be a whole bunch of questions that could be put on paper and a person could use those questions to begin that self-reflective journey, don't you right. think? Uh, yes, although that list would be awfully long. Um, okay. Yeah, it, it really would because cause your disruptive behavior is different than my disruptive behavior. And mm -hmm. what you find disruptive is going to be different than what I find disruptive. And... Um, Again, you know, the, these kind of self-assessments are nice. It's a nice place to start. But typically, people don't really think of themselves as being pretty disruptive, even when yeah. everyone else is writing them up and sending in complaints. And they say, yeah, but that person's just a whiner. You know, so, so a whiner might be an example of a disruptive behavior? Well, no, what I'm saying is, is that if, if, mm -hmm. if, I, if I receive, uh, you know, a bunch of complaints from other employees, Mm -hmm. You know, other my employees are complaining about me. My reaction may be, oh boy, you know, I'm getting multiple complaints about my behavior. I really need to look at this. Or more typically, it's, oh my, you know, my staff they're just a bunch of whiners. I'm fine. They just need to buck up. They just need a better yeah. work ethic. And so, boy, you know, yeah. so excessively demanding. That's kind of a nice classic one. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it, it, you know, uh, excessively high and very rigid standards, um, whether they're moral, ethical, or, or, or performance standards. Mm -hmm. you know, th those are kind of classics. Now, if mm -hmm. you, you know, and, and that's something I see all the time. By the way, are just really, really high standards that are imposed on others in an unrealistic manner, um, and that's a really hard problem to chew on to say, oh, so you're saying I should lower my standards? I'm involved in patient <laughs> care. You want me to say, mm -hmm. okay, resident, it's okay that you almost killed that patient? Mm -hmm. I, you know, I don't want to upset you. So it's not some, you know, it's, it's uh, unfortunately human behavior. Just it's like Dr. House. Is that Dr. House? On that right, TV right, right, show? exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, would well, you really right. want to have him as your boss, and yet he's, he's brilliant. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Exactly. But it's, but again, it's not just that. It's that, you know, think about this. You know, human behavior is just far too complex to mm -hmm. list on, 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 you know, on, on, in black and white on paper. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's a fine place to start kind of a screening tool. Um, but personally, I just haven't found one that makes, you know, enough sense mm -hmm. to actually use. So it's probably not even that important then to do that, have that list, but perhaps more important is to to see the possible impacts of your behavior, whatever that behavior might be, uh, on a particular set of situations and circumstances. So what can you do to moderate or alleviate, ameliorate those situations? You know, uh, this is obviously the first of many conversations we're going to have on behavior in the workplace. Uh, you know, why you hate your boss <laughs> is a natural outgrowth of this conversation. Right, right. That boss is, you know, suspicious, cynical, et cetera. That, you know, so we, we look forward to having you come back uh, and join us for some other specific conversations on particular behaviors and situations and 
you know, how to manage them and control them and, and get on with it, right? Oh, great. I mean, great. I I have a whole list from my mistakes I've made that I can lay on the table. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and, and ask for advice on, you know, what I do. You know, arrogance, you know, superior, the sense of superiority is what you've just defined uh, with your physicians. You know, they they are so incredibly gifted and educated, but there are many who are that way who are also humble and appreciative of what they have. And, and there are others who, who feel that they are God's gift to the world and yep. have the right to be. Uh, we've been having this conversation with Dr. Michael Height, who is a practicing psychologist working with individuals and employers and identifying and trying to uh, help individuals manage disruptive behavior in the workplace. And he has, uh, if you'd like to, to learn more about Dr. Height, you can visit his website, which is HeightC3.com. What do the three C stand for, by uh, the way? Clinical and, and Corporate Consulting. Oh, that Clinical makes sense. Clinical and so. Corporate Consulting. So HeightC3, and that's H-E-I-T-T-C3.com. Great. Well, I've, I've learned a lot. I appreciate your time, and I'm definitely looking forward to our next conversation. Thank you so much. My pleasure. My pleasure. Okay. Okay. Are we all done?